Welcome to episode one with the inspiring Tiffany Pham. Welcome to Asian Tech Leaders. My name is Justin Peng, and each week we share insights from Asian tech leaders to help inspire and guide you to reach your full potential. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get started. Tiffany Pham is the CEO and founder of Mogul, a global platform enabling women worldwide to reach their goals and realize their full potential. Tiffany developed the first version of Mogul, and today, Mogul now reaches across 196 countries and over 30,000 cities. She is a best-selling author of You Are a Mogul and the upcoming book, Girl Mogul. On this episode, I talk with Tiffany about her upbringing as a Vietnamese Chinese immigrant to America the lessons she's learned from her dad and grandmother, and how she found her passion. Hope you guys enjoy this episode, and let's get started. Okay, cool. So thank you so much, Tiffany, for agreeing to uh, be on on the podcast and just start to have a conversation. Um, So for those who don't know, Tiffany is the CEO and founder of Mogul. Mogul is a global platform reaching women across 196 countries and 30,000 cities, which is insane. And um, the goal of Mogul is really to enable women to realize their goals and reach their full potential. And by disrupting the $30 billion productivity tech market, Mogul partners with Fortune 1000 companies, startups, and top workplaces around the world to attract, retain, and advance diverse talent. So thanks so much, Tiffany, for um, being here. It's nice to see you after a very cold winter and on a snowy day in New York. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much <laughs> for having me. It's an honor to be on. Of course. Um, so You Are a Mogul, the book, was just an amazing read for me. I loved especially how you talked about your childhood and your upbringing. And it was very unique. You were born in Paris, France. I was. But you spent a lot of your youth in Plano, Texas. <laughs> Very <laughs> and different. Now you're in New York and you obviously did schooling in the East Coast. And I'd just love to start to learn a little bit more about the role of your family, which was very prominent in the early part of your book, right? You talk about uh, your parents being a huge influence and also your grandmother. And I would love to hear a little bit more about what role did your upbringing, especially, you know, being of Vietnamese Chinese descent, have to do with the values that you currently employ today, both in your personal and professional life? I love this question. I feel like it's such an important question for us Asian Americans to reflect on as we grow older and as we pursue our passions, to stay grounded to what inspired us in the first place. Mm-hmm. And for me, it, it absolutely was my grandmother, my parents, and all the sacrifices they made along the way. Every single time I reflect on that and I remember that, it keeps me going. It keeps me motivated and therefore never burnt out. So the values that I have today were absolutely inspired by them to want to cater back to the world, to give back to them, my parents, my grandmother, my family, my community, to the Mm. world, to women around the world. And as a result, I'm never burnt out. Mm. I think that's part of my value I'm internally motivated as well, though. And they also cater to that. They always encouraged me to strive to be the best that I could be in anything. I was therefore never competitive with others. I just always wanted to be the best that I could be. And that's something that my father taught me. I think 
Asian parents, especially, always teach their children, you know, to be disciplined and to try to be the best that they can mm. be. Um, my parents were very much in that like frame of mind of yeah. trying out anything that you might be passionate about and seeing if you liked it, whether you should stick with it and then become the best at it. And so as a result, that's the kind of value that I have internally as well that keeps me motivated. And that's actually what we do for our users worldwide mm. in Google. And fun fact is you are black belt in Taekwondo. <laughs> I'm a black belt in Taekwondo. Yet one another activity that my parents encouraged yeah. me to take on when I was little was Taekwondo. Mm. I basically was very shy growing up, very timid, very introverted. And as a result, would have preferred to just stay at home and study and play the piano and violin. And yet my dad, again, I'll give him the credit, uh, just wanted to push me forward, to give me the courage to embolden me further, mm. be brave. And so he started bringing me to the local dojo. And then I started training. <laughs> and within, I think, three years, got my black belt, oh my which gosh. is like an insane um, number of time. I think typically it takes many more years. But my father was very disciplined. And on our end, we became thus very disciplined right. and pushed ourselves. How important were grades to you growing up and your parents? Because I feel like it's very common for Asians to be very academic when they're growing up. And a lot of our self-worth as children is usually based on our grade, right? There's kind of the joke if a child comes home with a 97%, the parent says, what happened to the 3%? I'm curious <laughs> to know, like, how much was that part of your childhood? Because you talk about internal versus external motivation. I'm yeah, curious how, exactly. How Bringing back my previous answer to this one, mm. my parents yet again motivated me on the outside, wishing to give back to others and help others and give others opportunities and information. And on the inside, always just striving to be my very best mm. for myself, for my own self-worth. Mm. And so therefore that applied to even grades. Therefore they were never asking me like, what grade did you get today? It wasn't about that. It was like, was I trying? If I was, that was good enough for them. The fact that I even wanted to study was like really meaningful for them. Mm -hmm. So actually when I was younger, when I moved from France to Plano, Texas, didn't know how to speak English. So it was very hard for me to initially adjust. When I finally started to adjust, I adjusted mainly actually through watching TV shows like Friends and I Love Lucy. <laughs> and then I was playing sports, playing lacrosse, lacrosse. joining the Taekwondo Loco Dojo. And as a result, didn't get to focus on my grades so much, mm. actually focus on my homework. So what happened was I ended up one day having my life change by simply sitting behind another Asian girl named Diane. Diane. Yes. And you were her I, bridesmaid at her wedding. I was. Yeah. She's incredible. Still That's one great. of my best friends to this day. I still talk to her like every few days. And so what happened was Diane was sitting in front of me in math class and she kept on getting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And I knew because mm. we would trade papers and I would be the one grading her paper yeah. and real, realizing that she got another hundred. Meanwhile, she passed back the paper to me and it'd always be a 92 or 93 because I was always spending much more time on the other activities. And so when I saw that Diane could get that hundred, I started pushing myself because I realized that it was possible. I could see what I could be. I could get that hundred just like her. And she inspired me therefore to realize that maybe if I was going to do anything, why not put in more energy? 
just that tiny more mm -hmm. ounce of energy to get the hundred, to be the best that I could be on this piece of homework, on an assignment, on anything that I do. And that was like the moment that like my life changed when I like realized mm -hmm. that, that like if I were ever to do something, I wanted to truly be the best that I could at it, do the best that I could. So anyways, I started doing better. And so therefore I started having more and more determination in terms of grades. And then fast forward now back to my parents. A year later, I remember this moment. My parents still talk about it when like one day I like had my report card and I had gotten like all A's except for one class and I'd gotten like an 89 and I was just in absolute tears. And they were just like, of course, comforting me, but kind of like so kind of half proud and kind of half smiling to themselves that I was just so upset about an 89 that they didn't even have to discipline me or of any sort. They didn't have to talk to me about anything because I was already so internally motivated to be the best I could. So they, they motivated me, I think, in the right ways yeah. to have the right values so I could decipher myself what was important to me based on those values. Mm, great. And yeah, one of the lessons that I think was imparted by your dad, which I love, is this whole concept of failing forward. And, you know, from the, from the outset, you've achieved a lot of amazing things. Can you speak to, you know, some of your more memorable failures and um, how that kind of shaped you and ultimately what you learned? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my dad's incredible. When I look back, there are so many things that he taught us that were very non-traditional, that were even outside of the Asian American sphere, even in American culture overall, were very unusual practices to encourage his young girls to roll around in the mud, to take risks, to fail forward, because so long as you were learning, you were actually succeeding. And so because I had that mentality growing up of like, I can try anything and if I don't like it, then you know I'll find something that I do like and it's okay if I failed in the meantime, because he encouraged that, then I was always trying like different things. And as a result, moving forward, failing forward. And so I fail every day, <laughs> to be honest. I fail all the time. I failed as a little kid. I failed all throughout my teen years, throughout school, graduate school, in different ways. I just wasn't necessarily vocal about it. Like, oh, if I applied to something and I didn't get it, I wouldn't like go and screaming about it. In fact, actually what helped me, it still helps me to this day, is to do everything at volume. Mm. So when I applied to an internship that I really wanted, in actuality, I probably applied to tons of internships that I wanted. And therefore, because I applied to 50, I would get one. And that was seen by the outside as successful. Right. But no one knew about my 49 failures. So I always did this and everything that I did, let's say I tried to write for a magazine, I might submit 50 submissions to 50 different magazines, but one might accept it. And therefore, again, I would see or be seen by the outside as successful when in reality, there were 49 failures that only I would know about. Right. So I do that over and over again. I did that as again, a child. I did that as a teenager. And I do it even now, mm -hmm. whereby, you know, with Mogul, we might try many different things. And we will email many different people for a single product, but that product might get sold to one client and that client will be a big one. And then no one will know about the 49 times that we didn't get it sold. So it's all about trying and trying and trying and don't care about the no's along the way. Just keep going towards the yes, because that yes is the only yes you needed 
So keep going, keep going until you get to the yes. And those no's that you got in the middle were not right now, so that will turn into yeses anyways. That's great. That's great advice. I think the challenge, you know, in this day and age is a lot of the times, especially with social media, whether it's, you know, more on like the personal side with the Instagram or Facebook or on the professional side with LinkedIn, we just see the highlight reels. What do you think we as a society should be doing to just share more of our vulnerability and the, you know, the things that don't necessarily work out? Cause often it's very easy to look outside in as an outsider to be like, Oh, that person's just crushing it every day. How do they, I can't do that. Do you have any recommendations on how you think, you know, young people today should kind of think about that? Yeah, I think it's such a good observation. And I think we should all keep that in mind that when we look at social media, all social media platforms are essentially sizzle reels and highlights and therefore don't represent the true person 360. Every single person, no matter how many times they're sharing highlights and sizzle reels and showcasing wins, win after win after win, they're going through their same struggles. They're going through the same challenges that you are, the same obstacles, personally, professionally. It happens to all of us. And so anytime we look at social media, I would just remember that first and foremost, I would do social media for the reasons why it was created to connect with others, to stay connected, to message others, to accelerate yourself through opportunity, through those connections. But I would avoid feeling down, feeling depressed because you forget that those were just sizzle reels Mm. and highlights that you just saw. Mm. And so I think it's important to just be mindful and keep self-aware on that point. Use it as a tool and don't use it to over-criticize yourself. Yes, exactly. Use it for the reasons why it was initially invented. Right. That's a good reminder. Um, Do you still have all your social media accounts active? Actually, I just deleted my Facebook. (laughs) So I just deleted my Facebook app, I should say. I actually still have it on desktop. But as a result, I actually check it a lot less. I check it maybe once a week or so, and right. hardly therefore post on it myself. But I therefore exercised and practiced the exact same thing I just advised the listeners today. I literally had to remind myself too that I should be using it for the reasons why it was first invented. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, I deleted it off of the apps of my phone, but I kept it on desktop and I use it for the reasons again, why it was initially invented. Yeah. And I am on Instagram. I am on LinkedIn. I'm not as active on Twitter. Um, just because even though it's a, a really great and powerful environment for information sharing, there are obviously a lot of still toxic and troll talks here and there that even though it hasn't reached me at whatever point or mogul, I still prefer to stay away from. And then um, mogul in itself is, while it's not a social media platform, it is a community of talk and conversation and goal setting and goal reaching. And the conversations on the app and our platform, et cetera, are really actually the rare spots of the internet where vulnerability is encouraged and allowed. And, and therefore you do hear of others, obstacles and challenges and struggles. And it's one of the rare places where there's no sizzle reels actually or highlights. Yeah. More of a 360 view of what people's hopes and fears and aspirations are. Yeah, absolutely. What they're looking to accomplish and become for themselves, for the future. And um, kind of switching gears, one of my favorite chapters in the book was about finding your why. Mm -hmm. When did you, if there was a like seminal moment or epiphany of when did you know 
your why was around kind of empowering women and ultimately what, what became Ogle? My why I discovered when I was 14 years old. My why came about because of my grandmother, who herself was this incredible maverick of her time. She ran businesses in Asia and worked to provide others with opportunities and worked to provide others in need with information. And so I wanted to be like her growing up. And so what happened was that initially when I arrived in Texas from Paris, France, and was trying to find my way, I could see for myself then how powerful media could be as I was learning English from watching TV shows and listening to the radio, listening to audio tapes by Del Carnegie. Yeah. <laughs> but then later on, when my grandmother passed away when I was 14, just a few years later, after my arrival in America, that was the year and the day that everything changed, that I made a promise to her and myself that I would spend every waking moment, dedicating my life towards the same goal and mission, no matter how hard or challenging, I was going to work towards this goal and mission too. So ever since 14, that's all I've ever worked towards. And I had a therefore broad idea of what I wanted to do, but it wasn't until age 16 that I started to formulate it into the right words, into the words that would become the words of my life, the words that would enable me to more concretely understand what it was that I wanted to accomplish. I knew that I wanted to provide others in need with opportunities and information. But then by age 16, as I was applying to colleges, that's when I started to put down my ideas to paper and started to understand myself more as to what it was that I truly wanted to accomplish, which then therefore became a more concrete idea that I wanted to create a company for women to empower them through opportunities and information. At that time, I was seeing bullying happening in cross and schools. I was seeing images within the media that weren't reflecting the kind of women that I looked up to and respected that instead were portraying women in a different way that we weren't actually in real life. And so I therefore kind of brought all those influences together to become a more concrete idea at age 16. And then thereafter ended up because I saw a movie or actually a TV show called Gilmore Girls with Rory Gilmore, was inspired to then apply to college, even though I didn't have the funds to go to college or visit college. I ended up seeing the show, seeing her go off to Yale, run the school newspaper there, just like my grandmother. And so then I ended up thinking maybe I should write them a letter and maybe I could go there too and be like my grandmother, be like Rory. So I ended up at age 16, writing my school application and by chance got in. And so the first time I ever stepped foot on Yale campus was the first time I ever saw a college and went there. And just like Rory, just like my grandmother, ended up running the school newspaper. And so that kind of continued my footsteps in the journey towards becoming more like my grandmother and fulfilling the promise that I made to her early on. That's amazing. So do you feel like it started with just more of a feeling and it was an intuition when you were 14 and didn't really crystallize until you had to write your story and like actualize it yourself through your, your college essays? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was one of the first steps. Mm. I think what I advocate for all actually is to have a broad idea of what you want to do, be strategic about what you want to do, but be flexible along the way. Mm -hmm. So for me, I had kind of a broad idea of what I wanted to do. What was my passion, my purpose, my why, what would get me out of bed in the morning and make me feel like I was not going to be going to work, but be working in a way whereby my life and career would become one and the same. So 
I had this broad idea of what I wanted to do again, but I didn't know how to get there. And so what helped me along the way was to start to put the idea to paper, as I did with the essay, start to try out different extracurricular activities, such as I did with the school newspaper, start to take on side jobs, side hustles, start to take on corporate jobs during the day. All the combination of things that I would try from morning to night ended up enabling me to essentially take on a number of side alleys that would lead me to the main path ahead. That's great. So even let's say when you were working in banking, doing M&A work, was it pretty clear what that skill set was going to be that you could eventually apply to your longer term vision? Or when you were in it, were you like, what am I doing here? This is not directly or as obviously impacting women as, as much as I like. How did you think about it when you were in it? I tended to think about roles and side hustles in the big picture. Mm. In the big picture, I thought to myself, okay, here's my purpose, my passion, my why. And then again, that for me was to create a company for women one day to empower them, enable them through information, opportunities to reach their best selves, realize their full potential. Working backwards, I realized, okay, when I create a company, I better know different skill sets and that should be content creation and distribution, marketing and branding, product and technology, strategy and business development. So then working backwards, I reached out to different role models within each of these skill sets, reached out to them so that then we could collaborate in some ways. Those translated into some full-time jobs, nine to five, and some translated into side hustles at night. And so that's how I would think about jobs. Therefore, big picture, the skill sets that I thought each job could lead me to through the mentor that I'd reached out to, to get the job in the first place. And so in terms of investment banking, that's how I thought about it too. I thought, okay, it's going to let me learn more about finance. And that's where I stopped in terms of thinking about the role. It's going to let me learn about finance so that then when it's time to run my company, create my company, I'll know as much as I could have about finance because I worked in the most intense mm. area of finance possible. But I do want to be transparent and honest that there are definitely days in which it was difficult to keep that purpose, that reason in mind as the day-to-day -day grind of creating yeah. Excel spreadsheets set in. And yet I would always try to remind myself it was for the bigger purpose because right. I was learning so much and I was getting the most discipline possible and the most knowledge I could possibly obtain from this role mm. within finance. What enabled me to better align myself to what I was doing with the bigger purpose of why I was doing it was actually to take a step back and realize that maybe I should could communicate my desire to my management team to make them realize that I was very appreciative of the skills I was learning, but I was looking for a way to better connect it to the overall mission of the, the organization I was at, which then would enable me to, again, feel a more alignment with the bigger purpose that yeah. I was hoping to achieve for my bigger goal. Therefore, the management team enabled me to travel to where the transactions, where the deals were closing so that I could see for myself the end result of what I was creating. I could actually see, therefore, how the owners of businesses were selling their businesses, 
how they were selling it, how it was going to impact the resulting community, why it was a good thing for that business, how the other business would end up taking on their employees and how that would impact their business and their community. And then just seeing it all happen all together, it enabled me to, again, understand the underlying reasons we were doing this, the mission of the organization, mm-hmm. and understand how this might further impact my financial yeah. knowledge towards my bigger goal. Great. So having that clear goal in front of you, number one, articulated by creating your own stories, sounds like step one. Step two is figuring out how are the skill sets and experiences you're gathering fitting into this more or less master plan. And then third is gathering those skills and continuing to refine your goal and at least feel like you're moving one step closer with every experience that you have. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Let's, let's maybe switch gears a little bit to Mogul. Launched in 2014, amazing impact um, around the world in 30,000 cities, which plus the cities, which is crazy. What's next for Mogul? We're talking a little bit more about a new book coming out in a couple months, as well as some new exciting products. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit more, yeah, about what's next in store? So excited to share that we have our app globally rolling out within the next two months. If you look at store, we're under mogul, number one search results. It's super exciting. It's going to enable you to share your goal. And ultimately, the app will then enable you to have a daily routine morning to night that becomes your daily habit to achieve that goal within 30 to 60 days. And then ultimately have our incredible community around the world conversing with you, providing you with ongoing real-time mentorship in the way that you've never experienced before. So the app is globally rolling out within the next two months again. And then thereafter, we have Girl Mogul coming out April 2nd for Gen Z to become moguls at the earliest stages of their lives and careers within high school, middle school already becoming moguls and just accelerating themselves in this way already. Super excited for the book. It's going to be so powerful because I wished I had had this book when I was younger. Mm. And that's, I think, what makes this book so appealing and exciting. Then we have September 21st, Mogul X. It's going to be in New York. Mogul X is our annual conference where we have classrooms all within the conference. And you walk into each classroom and each one is going to cover a different classroom topic, whether it's about finance, personal finance, or relationships such as how to date or how to find a mentor, how to find a sponsor within a company or a school, or you go into the travel classroom or mentorship classroom or work at classroom. There are all sorts of different classrooms. And what makes them so special is that you walk into these classrooms to learn and you walk in and you see the most incredible CEO or celebrity in the world who's the biggest subject matter expert on that subject in the classroom, ready to teach you. So you'll walk into the finance class and it'll be Susie Orman herself, who's on our board, um, teaching the finance class. And you'll go into the relationships classroom and it's the founder of Hinge, uh, teaching you how to date in 2018 or 2019 (laughs) this year, et cetera. So incredible, incredible celebrities and CEOs teaching each class, really transformative day, uh, a day that has truly transformed the lives of all the attendees. And it's now the third largest women's conference in the US. And... Then beyond that, um, many more things to come, many more software is launching, many more partnerships to mm. be had and more social impact to be had around the world. That's great. What, what's the kind of greatest need that you have right now in terms of resources or support that you want to make an ask for? Well, as our app launches, part of the app, as mentioned, is having our incredible community be there to mentor others, to mentor themselves, to be their best selves 
And I would love for listeners to download our app and join the community so that then they can be mentoring everyone else and receive that mentorship themselves. I think, you know, when you give, you get, and I would love everybody to join and give and get accordingly. That's great. Then just a couple more questions. Um, mentors, you kind of touched on mentorship earlier and how mentors were key to helping you develop different skills to kind of prepare you for uh, what's next. Who are some people that you look up to, whether they're personal mentors or just people in the world who have inspired you outside of your family? Because I know your family has oh, been yeah. really important. <laughs> I'm very lucky to count many of my mentors as now personal friends. I've always looked up to Susie Orman, who cares so much about financial security for women for women to be financially aware and healthy and therefore taking control of their financial situation. And that's become increasingly personally important to me and professionally important to me. So very excited that she's now on our board and a good friend and she's actually in Girl Mogul and teaching at Mogul Lux. So lots of incredible collaborations with this incredible woman, my mentor. Also look up to Melinda Gates and Cheryl Sandberg and Ariane Huffington, um, who are incredible mentors and, and allies as well to Mogul. And simultaneously, though, I guess I should mention that my definition of mentor isn't necessarily someone who's above you, uh, many of which these women would represent to me. My definition of mentor actually means also that you learn from that person. You learn what they're better at than you so that in the end, you came away from that conversation with a deeper understanding of what they were more knowledgeable about. Thus, your mentors could also be your peers. They could be fellow founders. They could be your direct reports. They could be fellow students, classmates, wherever you may be in life. They may be above you, below you, at the same level. Therefore, I regard anyone and everyone as my potential mentor. Mm -hmm. I have many, many mentors as a result. As long as you can learn, there is a quote-unquote mentor opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And any Asian mentors particularly that you'd want to give a shout-out to, but whether it's formal or informal. Yeah, again, so many mentors <laughs> that I think I've learned from so many incredible people. Um, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, <laughs> even yep. though I've never met him, actually. Robert I think he's Kiyosaki. In, yeah, yeah, I think so. He, <laughs> yes. you know, just the fact that I'm reading his books, I think, is just that, <laughs> again, he's a mentor to me yeah. as a result. I admire many other Asian-American leaders we've been talking about, from Bing Chen to Warren Wu, Peggy Chung of Panda Express, to... Uh, just so many other incredible people. Actually, Gemma Chen of, of Crazy Rich Asians. I'm so proud of that film, Aquafina, mm -hmm. Constance Wu. They've been doing great, yes. great work for our community. So I look up to all these people and I look to them as present, past, and future mentors. Great. Thank you so much. And I just, you know, as we close out, want to acknowledge you for everything that you've done and who you've been in the world, especially for the Asian community. It's been amazing to um, see your journey and see the impact that you've had, especially on the Asian community, on the the um, women community, and personally for myself. So thanks so much for joining and excited to see where Mogul goes uh, in the future. Thank you Thank so you. much. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. Please share this with your friends and follow us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform.
Looking forward to our next conversation. And until then, take care.